I always like to tell this about my uncle. He uh, didn't believe in Christmas and didn't believe in celebrating Christmas, but he would take gifts. <laughs> thought, okay, that's ingenious. Psalm 114. When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of a strange language, Judah was his sanctuary, and Israel his dominion. The sea saw it and fled. Jordan was driven back. The mountains skipped like rams and the little hills like lambs. What ailed thee, O thou sea, that thou fleddest? Thou Jordan, that thou wast driven back? Ye mountains that ye skipped like rams and ye little hills like lambs. Tremble, thou earth, at the presence of the Lord at the presence of the God of Jacob, which turned the rock into a standing water, the flint into a fountain of waters. Let's pray. Lord, how thankful we are for this privilege of meeting together and opening your word. Lord, it's all vain unless you're pleased to bless it. Bless me in speaking. Bless the hearers in hearing. Lord, we thank you for the birth of thy dear son. We thank you for his suretyship. We thank you for his life. We thank you for his death. We thank you for his resurrection and what he accomplished. We thank you for his present intercession, and Lord, how we anxiously await his return. We thank you for him, and we ask that we might be enabled to meet together in his name, that we might have his presence. Lord, we confess our sins. We pray for forgiveness and cleansing. How thankful we are for his precious blood that makes us sinless before you. Be with all your people wherever they meet together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let me remind you uh, that quite often, as a matter of fact, always in the Psalms we have poetry. And this is a poem inspired by the Holy Spirit, but it is a poem nonetheless. And poetry uses images to evoke um, meanings in addition to what is said. Now let me repeat that. Uh, poetry uses images to evoke meanings in addition to what is said. Now what does that mean? Well look at verse 4 of this psalm. 
the mountains. Now think of a mountain range. Think of the Rocky Mountains. Think of the Himalayas. I mean, it's the biggest thing on the planet that we see, a mountain range. The mountains skipped like rams. They, they started just hopping along. And the hills like little lambs. Now, did this literally happen? Well, if the Lord caused it to it, it did, yes. But that's really not the point. What this is teaching us is that he has no obstacles. A mountain range cannot stop his will being done. He says mountains run, the mountains run. Little hills skip like lambs, the little hills skip like lambs. He has um, no obstacles. They flee, the mountains flee at his command. And that is the picture we're given throughout this beautiful psalm. Verse 1, when Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of a strange language. Now this is talking about the Exodus. When Israel left Egypt, that people of a strange language. Now, when I hear the language of salvation by works, it's a strange language. It doesn't speak to me. It's contrary to my experience. I don't like it. As a matter of fact, it's offensive. It's offensive to God. It does not glorify God. It does not exalt the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's offensive to me. A strange, a foreign language. You know, we understand the language of grace. It resonates to our hearts. We rejoice in the message of salvation completely in Christ. That everything God requires of us, he looks to his son for. We enter in to that. We that resonates with us. It's not strange language. It's the only thing we understand. When we hear salvation by works, it's a strange language. It doesn't fit up with our experience. Now, when Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob, from a people of a strange language, Judah was his sanctuary, and Israel his dominion. I think it's uh, glorious how Judah... Where'd Christ come from? Judah. Judah was his sanctuary. Jesus Christ is the sanctuary of God. He's the dwelling, but he is God. Judah was his sanctuary. And Israel, his dominion. Israel is God's people. Israel is the church. And this is where his Saving purposes and saving grace and saving operations take place in the church. That's the place of his domain. That's the place of his dominion. That's the special place of his salvation. Judah, the Lord Jesus Christ, Israel, the church. I love that scripture in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved. Who? The church. And gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That describes every believer. The church is the 
sphere of his saving power. Now look at verse 3. The sea saw and fled. Jordan was driven back. Now, this is a reference to Uh, this is a reference to the Red Sea parting. And this is a reference to the Jordan parting. The beginning of their journey, their salvation, the Red Sea parted. And they marched through. Can you imagine seeing that? And at the end of their journey, the 40 years in the wilderness when it was over, the parting of the Jordan really representing death. Our, our life in this world Starts with the Red Sea being parted. God saving us and us marching through the Red Sea by faith. We go through the wilderness journey. At the end, Jordan parts and we'll enter into the promised land in perfect likeness to Christ. That's the history of every believer. The parting of the Red Sea and the parting of the Jordan River. The Red Sea, salvation from bondage, Jordan, enter into the promised land, perfect likeness to Christ. Verse 4. The mountains skipped like rams, and the little hills like lambs. Now, most of what I read said that this is a reference to Mount Sinai, quaking and smoking. And it may be, but remember once again, this is poetic language. It's given to signify something to us. And this reminds us that a mountain range, that's the biggest thing we see on this planet. Somebody says, well, what about the sea? Well, I, I guess maybe I, I can see that, but as far as something that goes up a mountain range, something that, that, that represents an obstacle we can't get past uh, it's no problem with the Lord he is absolutely sovereign and he has no obstacles because he has omnipotence behind his sovereignty whatever he wills he has the power to bring to pass and he always brings to pass without exception, whatever he wills. Now, when we're talking about God's sovereignty, we're not talking about his right to be sovereign, although he does have the right to be sovereign. He said, can I not do what, I'm, what I will with my own? But he's always sovereign. Everything that happens, he's in absolute, complete control of, and he has no obstacles. You know, me and you, we can will all kinds of things. Will they come to pass? Well, if he wills them, but not just because we will them. Uh, we will all kinds of things, but we don't have the power to make sure our will comes to pass. But whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in earth and sea, in all deep places. That's everywhere. The Lord's will is always done. I think of um, Sarah laughing when she heard that she was going to have a son and the Lord replied to her is anything too hard for the Lord don't you love that is anything too hard for the Lord
while we're there in Psalm 114, just turn a few pages over to Psalm 135. I quoted this. Verse 5. For I know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is above all gods. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all deep places. Mountains are no obstacle to him. Now look in verse 5 of our text. He asks four questions that he knows the answer to. Once again, remember this is poetry. And it's given to evoke a certain image in our mind. He says, What ail thee, O thou sea, that thou fleddest? <laughs> thou Jordan, that thou wast driven back. Ye mountains, that ye skipped like rams, and ye little hills like lambs. Now, what I thought of when he's asking the question, What's wrong, Red Sea, that you just part? And Jordan and you mountains that you skipped up. What ailed you? What I thought of was when they came to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, whom seek ye? Now why does the Lord include this detail? Whom seek ye, Jesus of Nazareth? I am. And they were driven back at his presence, just like the sea was driven back and the Jordan was driven back. They were driven back at his presence. Why did the Lord um, bring that detail with regard to his arrest and death and the cross? He's letting us know that he is in complete sovereign control of every event, of that and everything else. You see, the Lord's not a victim. He's in absolute control of everything that takes place. What ailed thee, O sea, that you parted? You Jordan River that you parted, they marched through. Ye mountains that ye skipped like rams and little lambs, the sea flees. Mountains skip at his will. And he says in verse 7, Tremble thou earth. At the presence of the Lord. Now that's literally the face of the Lord. Tremble. This is speaking of the fear of God, which is the beginning of wisdom. Now listen to this statement. You only fear an absolute sovereign God. You only worship an absolute sovereign God. You only trust an absolute sovereign God. Tremble, thou earth, at the presence of the Lord. And look at this, verse 7. Tremble, thou earth, at the presence of the Lord at the presence of the God of Jacob. 
Do you know that God calls himself by this name more than any other title? The God of Jacob. Now, who's Jacob? Well, if you know anything about Jacob, you know that he was a like me and you. That's the best way I could describe it. He's like me and you. His name means a supplanter. Uh, he was a deceptive man. He was a sinful man. And God identifies himself as the God of Jacob. Remember that passage of scripture? With the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger, as it's written, Jacob have I loved. Dwell on that. Jacob have I loved. And he said, Esau, have I hated? Somebody says, well, that means he loved Esau less. Can God love less? Of course not. He's God. Malachi 3, 6, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. God is the God of Jacob. Now, here's where I want us to spend the rest of our time. Which turned the rock into a standing water. The flint into a fountain of waters. Now, here we have the gospel. This is how we worship this holy, infinite, transcendent, glorious God. He turned the rock into a standing water, the flint into a fountain of waters. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17, verse 1. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of Sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Now this is shortly after the uh, parting of the Red Sea. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses. They were upset. They were angry. They were resentful. They confront Moses. They're unhappy with the way things are going. And they confront Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. Notice the attitude. It's an attitude of entitlement. Not a humble attitude. Not a believing attitude. The way the Lord has already delivered us, he'll continue to deliver us. They have a, a prideful, arrogant attitude. Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? That's what's going on. Moses said, I'm not the issue. The Lord is. 
Why do you tempt the Lord? Put him to the test. And the people, verse 3, thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? After all they'd seen, yet this response. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They'd be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people and take with thee of the elders of Israel and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river. Take it in thy hand. That's the rod he smote the Red Sea with and it parted. And go. Behold, I will stand before thee upon the rock in Oreb. And thou shalt smite the rock. Who is standing on the rock? The Lord says, I'll be standing on that rock. Smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now you'll remember, Paul tells us that rock was Christ. Every blessing that you and I have has this as its source, the smitten rock. I think the imagery is so powerful. The Lord says, I'm going to stand on that rock. How do you reckon Moses felt when he smoked that rock knowing the Lord was standing there? But he was doing it because the Lord told him to do it. This is to typify the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation of the water that comes from that rock. Now, he mentions it twice in our text. Turn with me now to um, Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. When he smote the rock and then the flinty rock, it's mentioned twice. Numbers chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin in the first month. And the people abode in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there, and there was no water for the congregation. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and the people chode with Moses saying, Would to God we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our cattle should die there? And wherefore have you made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us into this evil place? It's a place of, it's no place of seed or of figs or of vines or of pomegranates, neither is there any water to drink. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly into the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they fell upon their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take thy rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and what? Speak. He doesn't say smite. He says speak. 
Do you know because of the rock that's already been smitten, every believer has full privilege of coming into God's presence and speaking to the rock and him hearing. The Lord hears you. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? The rock has been smitten. Speak. What does Moses do? Now you will remember that because of the way Moses conducts himself, and the scripture says he spake unadvisedly with his lips, because of this, he's not allowed, because of this event, he's not allowed to go into the promised land. Um, you see, the law is not going to bring us into the promised land. Only Joshua, the Savior, does. But look how Moses responds. And Moses had a temper. Um, you cannot read the story of Moses without finding out this man had a temper. Uh, that was his weakness. And here we see uh, how he responds to these people. Verse 8. Take the rod and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes. And it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So shalt thou give the congregation their beast to drink. Speak to the rock. And Moses took the rock from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Here now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of the, this rock? Uh, now notice how fleshly he's speaking. Must we fetch you water out of this rock? Moses, you don't have anything to do with water coming out of that rock. This is the Lord's work. It's not your work. But here he's so angry and he speaks unadvisedly with his lips. And Moses lifted up his hand, verse uh, 11, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. You know, the Lord is still merciful. The water still comes out, even through this act of disobedience on Moses' part. The water still flows from the rock. And the congregation drank and their beasts also, and the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, because you believe me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Now, this is how serious what Moses did was. This is a great type of the gospel. Christ is smitten once, never to be smitten again. He accomplished what he purposed. And now Moses presumes to, because he's angry, he smites the rock twice. He, he uh, fails to sanctify God because if you think the rock can be smitten twice, you are, you are totally denying the meaning of the cross. And that's what Moses hears at this time. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, because you believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Oh, may that be our only desire, what we say about him. What we say about him. And he said, you failed to sanctify me. That's the issue. You failed to sanctify me. In the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore you shall not bring the congregation into the land. Which I have given them. You're not going in because of this. And he didn't. You remember when the Lord took him and buried him. He let him see the land. But he wouldn't let him 
take a step in. Now turn back to our text in Psalm 114. Verse 7, Tremble thou earth at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, which turned the rock into a standing water, the flint into a fountain of waters. Now why is this mentioned twice? Number one, at all times, Christ crucified is everything in our salvation. Amen? At all times. Number two, the only thing that softens our heart is the cross. Not Sinai, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing. Remember the first line, when I surveyed a wondrous cross? Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life. My 